In my last episode, I chatted with my colleague, John Pasalis of Realosophy, and we talked about the crazy market here in Toronto. And we used that dreaded B word that real estate agents never want to mention, bubble. Our real estate market in Toronto is going nuts. Houses continue to sell for record numbers. It's been common to see houses sell for up to $600,000 over the asking price. But this craziness is not just happening in Toronto. We're seeing it from Vancouver all the way across the country to the Atlantic provinces. And we're all wondering, how long can this go on? I'm Desmond Brown, and welcome to Sold in the Six. Macbeth wrote the book When the Bubble Bursts, Surviving the Canadian Real Estate Crash. He's also an investment advisor and portfolio manager in Edmonton. Hilliard, welcome to my podcast. So Hilliard, how would you summarize what's going on in Canadian real estate right now? Well, you know, we've got a, we've got a second boom, I guess you'd call it, in real estate as a result of the COVID-19 recession and the stimulus that the government put in in um, March of 2020. And it's pretty spectacular. I mean, I'm I'm actually quite shocked at the uh, at the level of interest. And you know, part of it is people wanted to move out of the major Toronto condo market and out into Oshawa and that sort of thing. To use an example, um, part of it was just fear of missing out. People, you know, they see their millennial kids living in the basement. And uh, um, in talking to some mortgage brokers in Toronto, they tell me that ninety uh, percent of the applications are co-signed by uh, older people, the parents, grandparents. So that's you know, and the thing is, all of this time, the the media has been printing stories that there's a glut of savings, which is is absolutely not true. Um, there is a glut of new mortgage debt. So the uh, in uh, October, November of 2020, mortgage debt was growing at one uh, percent per month, so 12 percent annualized rate, which is just phenomenal. I mean, it's it, it, it over the last 20 years, uh, mortgage debt has grown between five to seven percent, much faster than the economy, which has grown you know three or four percent. And uh, house prices have gone up at the same pace as mortgage debt, which they pretty much have to, right? And but so so during a re- the worst recession since the Great Depression in 1930s, for people to be able to go out and borrow even more money on top of uh, basically Canada's level of the highest debt uh, ratios in the world, for them to be able to go and add, add another uh, seven to twelve percent annual rate growth in mortgage debt is, is absolutely shocking. And also, I would say uh, irresponsible on part of the authorities because obviously they they need somehow to throttle that back. Okay, so obviously what you're saying is that uh, this is not sustainable. And would you actually call what we're going through right now a bubble? Absolutely. This is a bubble. Uh, it has been a bubble for, for several years now. It isn't, uh, it isn't just a new bubble. The bubble probably started forming in about 2002 or 2003. Uh, the growth in Canada has surpassed pretty well every other country in the world except for uh, New Zealand and Australia. And uh, and the debt levels, of course, in Canada, I mentioned, are, are the household debt to GDP are, are among the highest, if not the highest. And so that all of that tells you it's a bubble. And, and you could say, you know, incomes have gone up two or three percent a year and house prices have gone up seven percent plus per year. So the gap between income, which is where people generally have to pay their housing out of, they, they don't have most people don't have a lot of other sources of money that they can pay other than their income 
it's just keep, it keeps getting wider and wider. And that's what creates a bubble. And then of course, uh, my research uh, in my into my book, which uh, the second edition came out in 2018, uh, my worst research shows that uh, every bubble bursts, uh, every major bubble in the history of the economy, whether it be the stock market or real estate, has eventually burst. And that means, unfortunately, that means a pretty disastrous outcome. I don't want to get into the disaster right away here. <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about uh, those features of a bubble. And, you know, from your book, you had uh, some great points here on what a bubble actually is. So let's start with one of these points here, the rapidly rising prices. Yeah, so you can have rapidly rising prices without a bubble. Obviously, you get, for instance, um, you know, as, we, as we're talking here today, uh, lumber prices have, have tripled from a year ago. But that doesn't necessarily make a bubble. But, uh, you know, if there's a sustained period of rapidly rising prices, you have to start to become skeptical, especially if it's something as big as a house or a, a condo, the cost being $500,000 to a $1 million. Um, you know, obviously, every time the price goes up, it gets harder and harder for people to afford that. So that's one of the big symptoms of, of, a, of a bubble. And, and of course, people then start to regret that they're missing out on it, especially when it comes to housing, the biggest single uh, investment for, you know, 95% of, of, of um, middle-class North Americans, uh, the housing is the biggest commitment. So if they feel that the prices are getting away from them, they panic a little bit, right? So they, 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 uh, they either uh, feel a lot of regret being on the sidelines or they, uh, or they get involved and then they develop a, a really aggressive attitude towards the, uh, the permanence of, the trend, which of course is never permanent, but in their minds, it has to be permanent because they've made the big commitment. Sure. So that aggressive attitude, is that somebody bidding a high number to make sure that they're not going to miss out? They want to get that product. They want to get that home. Well, yeah, I think they, I, you know, people do these things. Most people only do these things once or twice in their lifetime. So they don't really know what they're supposed to be doing, but they get to a point. And now of course there's usually two people involved, uh, you know, in the couple, and there's almost always actually more than two people involved because these days with prices as high as they are, usually it's uh, um, the parents of one or the other of the young couple that have, have agreed to help or encouraged or pushed or or really you know, put a lot of money on the table and say, you must do this now. And uh, so there's maybe one more reluctant partner and one more enthusiastic partner. And uh, and so they go and they got they got to go to the bank and they get pre-approved for, you know, like... They say, to, they say to the banker, well, you know, with our income, the most we'd want to go into uh, into debt is 400000 It's just to use an example of a couple that I've talked to. And the banker says, well, actually, with your income, you could you could go up to 600000 So they say, oh, no, no, 400 is our limit. So then they go to the realtor, and the realtor says, well, I'll show you some stuff. What's your what's your budget? And they say, well, 400000 And it goes and look. And, of course, they hate everything they see. So, so then at the end of that day with the realtor, one of the two says, well, you know, our parents said that they would help us. And, and also the, the bank said that they could lend us up to 600000 Oh, the realtor says, oh, well, if, if we can go up there, I can show you some, some much nicer places. So then, then, then this, the whole thing just hey, snowballs. At you know, you're, are you a realtor? This sounds like my uh, life. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is your life, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I get, so, and another one of these elements that you had in your book here is how people tell stories to each other to justify the bubble. Well, you know, it's amazing how, uh, you know, I've had this, I, so I've, I've talked all over, all over Canada now and, you know, on the book tour of, uh, well, this is my third book now, actually. So I've done several book tours and then also I've been lucky enough to be invited to uh, be interviewed on media and stuff. And, 
But uh, on the speeches where I'm actually live in a city, I've started to do this thing because uh, I say, well, you know, there's, it's a terrible housing bubble and it's going to crash everywhere but here in Edmonton or Calgary or wherever I happen to be. You know, you guys are immune to the bubble because uh, because of this. And I just pick some, you know, every, every city's got a different reason, right? If you're in Toronto, you say immigration, you know, all these immigrants coming so that it can never crash in Toronto. In Vancouver, you say, well, you know, all that foreign money coming in from Asia. And if you're Edmonton or Calgary, of course, you say, you used to say the oil sands, right? Then add so... Um, so and then they all relax and then and then you wait and then you say oh i'm just kidding it's going to crash here too and then they laugh but so you don't want to lose your audience right away right off the bat but the reality is it actually is crazy like you get down to where you have people so convinced that there's a bubble and it's going to it's going to burst but my house is immune my street is immune my city is immune my neighborhood is immune i actually had a guy uh, a client actually and he had in a condo building he had his condo immune because it faced south and in Calgary, it had a view of the mountains. So it was immune to the crash that was coming to all the other condos in the building. Like it, it, the, the stories that people tell each other and themselves, it's just amazing. Like, I, you know, you can write a whole book on the stories. And, and of course, they're all based on, on people reassuring themselves that they've got this massive amount of debt. And if house prices ever go down, they're going to be in serious financial difficulty. Yeah. So that leads us into your next term, which is, Bubbles as a form of mental illness. When you talked about the craziness, <laughs> tell me a little bit about that. Well, so there's a book that you know I don't I don't necessarily recommend it, but it's it's it was written in the 16 or 1700s, and it's called Extraordinary Popular Delusions at the Madness of Crowds. So really, when you get into one of these bubbles, what you what, there's a form of mental illness that comes with a crowd, and they start telling each other stories. They start pumping each other up. And, and then one of the things that happens, because I've got, you know, we have a young couple in our family who are still renting, is the peer group pressure is enormous. Like they've got, they're, they're when their friends find out that they're 35 years old and haven't bought yet, they they start getting some real pressure from people saying, why haven't you bought? What's wrong? You're crazy. You know, they, they so they get, they really attack them. So obviously, why would those people care? I mean, if you're renting or if you're owning it, that shouldn't make any difference to them, right? But they do care because they've they've got this form of mental illness where they, they have to believe it and they have to support it. And so the problem with the term bubble, which is the, you know, the, the title of my book, When the Bubble Bursts, it's, bubble sounds like, you know, soap bubbles, it's innocuous. Kids love to play with them and stuff. Are you ready to pop some bubbles? First, we have to make them. Ready? One, two, three, blow! But really, we're, we're, we're dealing with a mania, a delusion, and a madness of crowds, which is, which that sounds a little more serious, a little more scary. Wow, those are scary bubbles. Don't play with those bubbles, kids. Yeah. Stay away from those. Yeah. <laughs> it explodes. It's very dangerous. Uh, okay, and then the other term you had was the role that the news media plays with the bubble. You know, so the, it's complicated, you know, with the news media because I've, uh, of course, I've done lots of interviews with the with the news media and the, and the, the TV and the radio and the print, although not as many in the print media because it turns out, interestingly enough, that uh, the biggest advertiser in many of the print medias, and of course they're struggling financially terribly, they're on the on the edge of extinction, the print media, their biggest remaining advertiser that they have that they depend on a lot is, is real estate. So they don't want to have some guy come on there and say, oh, it's a bubble, it's going to burst and everybody's going to lose their life savings. That's not the message they want to hear. So so uh, the media gets involved, in, in, but they, for a long time, they were still eager to have me only only um only to uh, debunk my my thesis right so 
but the but the media will you know if, if it's top of mind for people i mean the thing is it's not like stocks is stocks a lot of people are involved in stocks but they don't have their life savings tied up in the stock market so you can't write stories about the stock market but the housing it's it's in front of everybody whether they've bought or they haven't bought it's it's very much uh top of mind almost all and in fact that's one of the, that'll be one of the biggest advantages of when this bubble bursts is we can stop talking about real estate all the time. It's so annoying. Everywhere you go, all the whole topic is real estate. And right now, and of course, the big one now is renovations as well. Not so long ago, I was representing a buyer in a multiple offer situation. It was a bidding war. In the middle of it, the agent representing the seller said I'd have to improve my offer. I wasn't sure how high my clients could go or if they could afford to pay more. So I got on the phone and called my mortgage agent, Jason Georgopoulos of Dominion Lending, who had already pre-qualified them. He told me it was no problem to increase our offer, which my clients did, and they got the home. If you're thinking of buying a home, make sure you get pre-qualified for a mortgage and make sure to get in touch with Jason Georgopoulos of Dominion Lending. He has access to 30 lenders and is guaranteed to get you the best mortgage. You can reach Jason at Jason G at dominionlending.ca. What if the bubble breaks? I think there's, that's going to lead to a lot more news stories because it could lead to people losing their homes, obviously people losing their jobs. So again, we're going to have a pretty busy news cycle covering that kind of stuff. Well, you know, it's interesting because people suffer quietly. You know, I, I did in the research, I did look at a, and I've lived through, I've been a financial advisor now for more than 40 years. So I've lived through several of these bubbles and bursting of the bubbles, although nothing like this real estate one that we're talking about today. Uh, and what happens is people, people don't announce that they just lost their life savings. They don't, they go away and they, they suffer quietly, right? So what they do, what they do enjoy uh, hearing about is the pain of other people. You know, the, the German word Schadenfreude is, uh, is, is becomes very... So in 1990, the last time we had a serious break in the real estate was 1990. And in uh, Ontario, there was a big company called Olympia New York. And so they people enjoyed reading stories about the demise of the Olympia New York empire. So they, they don't necessarily want to focus on their own losses that they have, but they want they would love to hear. There was a big... Um, a big uh, uh, crisis crash in uh, Calgary, a company called Strategic Corp. And, uh, but I don't, they didn't really focus on that too much, but the guy lost, I think in the neighborhood of three or 400 million. It was, it was about a year ago that it, it came out in the public. The TELUS pension plan had invested a bunch of money into it. It was, it, but you know, generally after the bubble bursts is when people enjoy those stories more. One of the best selling books was, um, was the, the story of Enron, the, the big, uh, energy company in Houston, but only after, only after the bubble burst, people want to hear about it then, you know, that's the, that's the time that they want to dwell on it. Well, well, Hilliard, you said that this bubble has been developing and I guess the air has been going into this bubble now for a good 15 years is what you're saying, like around 2002, I'm sorry, you said it earlier on the show here, 2002, 2005. So it's inflating slowly and when I spoke to John Pasalis in my last episode, we talked about the bubble bursting. But John said, look, it's not a burst. It's more like a pinhole. And the air slowly 
releases from that bubble and then that's when you talked about disaster. Is that when the disaster hits? Well, you know, it's interesting because this is so much unlike every other uh, situation. Most of the most of the burstings have been sudden. And uh, the reason that they're sudden is because of the credit cycle. So, so far we haven't talked much about it, but the big, big thing is the mortgage debt and the credit cycle that's involved. So people take on a lot of mortgage debt. You know, one of the things people believe is all mortgage, all mortgage debt is good debt. And so you can't have too much mortgage debt. You can you can get into trouble with borrowing money for the stock market or for credit cards, but mortgage debt is solid. And if house prices keep rising, as is the other thing that people believe, then actually that's correct. But if house prices started to come down, even 20% at this point, maybe even 10% at this point, and the banks took action, then that's where you'd get into a more sudden thing. What happened in, um, in the COVID recession was interesting. The banks first gave a deferral of, of for six months of mortgages, and then the government replaced uh, the income that people lost. A dollar of income was replaced with two dollars of government transfers. So basically, people didn't have any trouble, even if they'd lost their jobs. Uh, and that's never happened before, as far as I know. That didn't happen in the 1930s. It didn't happen in the 1970s or the 80s or the 90s. So, so we don't know. This thing has been elongated and extended to a degree that is unprecedented. Normally what would happen is the banks would tighten up. People would be unable to make their mortgages. Once they're two months arrears in mortgages, then the bank usually is required to foreclose by law. And um, although they have some rules that they can bend a little bit, but generally they're required to at least announce that they have mortgages in arrears. House prices drop and then you get forced sales. And usually when the lenders start forcing the sale of houses, that's when you get your big drops in the prices. That's what happened in 2009 in the U.S., yeah. So that's our power of sales is what we talk. We talk about power of sales more in Canada because those the exercise well the banks exercising the right to sell the properties. We don't get a lot of foreclosures here in the U.S. We get a lot of foreclosures where they actually shut the doors on people and kick them right out of the properties, right? Well, they have we have the same mechanism. I mean, in, in Alberta where I live, it's called foreclosure. In Toronto, it's called power of sale. I mean, the, the, the rules are slightly different, but essentially, essentially the the mechanism exists all over the world and. Uh, it's basically that the, the, the lender has the duty either to the shareholders or to the government or who, the taxpayer or whoever to protect themselves from further losses. Because once the, the householder realizes that they're underwater on their mortgage with the house, say they owe 600000 on a $500,000 house, they, their attitude might change and they might decide to not pay the mortgage. They might decide not to pay the taxes on the, on the property. Uh, they might decide not to pay the insurance anymore. And so, so this is what happened in 2009 in the U.S. And uh, the average, by the way, the average length of time people lived like that, which is which is perfect because they're not paying rent and they're not paying mortgage payments either, was 24 months. So two full years of enjoying that. So that's why the lender has to take action. And in every past cycle, there's been uh, aggressive lender action, but in this cycle, it's very unusual. So because we haven't had a real recession since that 1990 um, uh, recession with Olympia New York defaulting uh, that related to a lot of real estate losses. That was the last time there was a recession of that nature. Uh, most of the people that are working in the system these days don't have never been through a cycle like that where the, where the banks actually had to take action. So what they're doing right now, I think, as far as I can tell, uh, it's hard to confirm, but as far as I, my guess is that they're, they're just talking to the borrowers that are in trouble and say, you know what, we'll help you get through this. I know that was a big thing. That was a big thing in Alberta and it's probably a big thing right now in Toronto. And with the assumption that it'll come back and everybody will get their jobs back after COVID and you don't need to foreclose on people, just help them get through this. Yeah. So you think 
that's all helped to keep this going. Like you said, the government help, the the uh, the deferral of mortgage payments and so on has all helped to keep prolonging this bubble that we have. And that it's going to take, like you said, it takes like two years before anything drastic really happens. So if the government hadn't done that last year, the mortgage deferrals and the and the replacement of the income, we would be uh, talking about a major crash in 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 the, in the economy and in real estate uh, starting in about April or May of last year. I mean, it was basically if the Bank of Canada hadn't done what they did, if the government of Canada hadn't done what they did, if the chartered banks hadn't done what they did, uh, if the regulator who had to uh, basically the regulator that regulates the banks had to make some adjustments to the rules, I mean, all the way through the system. But but the, no none nobody myself included expected that house prices would start to go up after that. I mean, was, yeah, no. they thought they thought they were moderating a, a drop, a you know, a, a, a almost guaranteed drop in house prices because people were struggling. They thought they were going to moderate a slight decline in house prices. What it ended up doing is they ended up triggering, uh, you know, the CREA says seventeen percent year over year. Now you have to be you have to be a little bit skeptical of that for reasons that we can get into if you want. But there definitely is signs that prices are going up. And that's absolutely unheard of in a, in a recession that is of this magnitude. Well, you're in Albertan, and I'm hearing you praising the Liberal government in Ottawa. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know if they did the right thing. I honestly, I honestly don't know if it's the right thing or the wrong thing. I mean, if we'd, you know, the, the, it's just if you look at the 1930s, uh, what happened was, all the housing and the farms and everybody just went into liquidation and, and uh, it was terrible. I mean, people lost their homes, people lost their farms, people lost everything. And, and the banks, of course, it didn't really help the banks because nobody could really make their payments anyway. So there wasn't really much point in foreclosing. And so I think, I think people, you know, they're trying to do the right thing. Um, but I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't praise the local government. I certainly wouldn't praise the government, the conservative government before the conservative government before them. Uh, we talked about when this thing started 2006, they were elected as a minority government, uh, and uh, or 2008, I guess 2008, they brought in zero down payment and 40-year amortization under CMHC. Now, this, this is just, this kicked the whole thing off, and it was a, a huge uh, boost to the real estate. And, and you know, actually, you know, they, they would say, you know, it was a good thing, because what happened was real estate carried us through the 2009 recession, where we didn't get hit nearly as hard as the U.S. did. So we've talked about some of the things we'll see if and when a bubble breaks. What what are some of the other things? Okay, you talked about people losing their homes. Um, we're talking about job losses. We're talking about the ripple effect that real estate has on all of the other economic sectors out there, such as you know um, building supplies and decorators, home inspectors. The list goes on and on. Uh, you know, it's a, it, it's 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 sort of hard to. Uh describe how big the magnitude is and, and and i don't think people really you know people don't realize when you're in something you think it's normal right but you know if you go back a few years the maximum that any uh, uh the the real estate sector ever was of the gdp of this country or probably any other country was six percent six percent and to give you an idea before the u.s crash starting in 2006 the crash went from 2006 2010 the U.S. and Canada were both at 6% of GDP in terms of, now this is real estate construction, real estate renovations, and the cost of, of transferring real estate. It doesn't include flipping houses back and forth between two people of an existing house. Not, not counting that, but just new construction, mostly, mostly new construction renovation. 
Uh, 6% in Canada, 6% in the US. The crash came in the US, the global financial crisis. It went down below 2%, and now it's recovered up to 3%. In Canada, in the towards the end of 2020, it hit 9%. It never dropped below 6% uh, for 2008, 2009, 2010. We have been devoting way more uh, of our GDP to real estate than in any other period in Canada before and probably any other country in the world. So when you say, what's, what is it going to do to the, to the economy, you know, you know, measured by the GDP, it, it could be very devastating because, uh, you know, even when the U.S. went from 6% to below 2%, that's a drop of 4% of GDP, that's the equivalent of the worst recession we'd have, which was 1982, uh, since the Great Depression, a 4% drop. What would you tell your clients or anyone else um, who's in the real estate market right now uh, when it comes to protecting themselves against the bubble breaking, what can we do? So one of the things, what, so going back to um, the start of this, so, you know, I'm a, I basically, what I do is I'm an investment advisor, portfolio manager, and I manage uh, money for people. And I've been doing it for, as I mentioned, for a long time. And, um, and so my clients become friends and I, you know, I sort of see their retirement as I've taken some responsibility for the retirement. So what happened was a, a number of them started to come in and say, well, you know what, I got that, I got that $1 million or $2 million in my retirement fund. My kids need to buy a house. So I'm going to take 100000 out and give it to them, and then they're going to buy a house. And I'm going like, wait a minute. You know, that 100000 when you're 50 is 500000 when you're 70, and you're going to need that for your retirement. Plus the money, you know, you know, it's full disclosure, you don't like to see the money going out the door, right? So, so uh, I got interested in that. And I think the biggest thing that people need to be afraid of is getting the whole family involved in this. So, uh, um, uh, uh, the the involvement of the parents and the grandparents in guaranteeing loans, in giving down payment money, uh, all kinds of activity like that. In order, and I, I, so I'd say, well, they come to me and say, and I say, well, how old is your is your offspring? You know, uh, I, I thought your daughter was only twenty one. Oh yeah, she's only twenty one. But we want to get her in now before the prices go up any more. Say, well. You know, who knows what her life, where is her life going to take her? Who knows where she's going to go? What's going to happen to her career and everything? You're going to saddle her with a mortgage and with a house today at the age of 21. It's crazy. I even had one one, one guy that, uh, not a client, but somebody else said he had a five-year-old that he was going to buy a condo for to get ready. So, I mean, so, so that's what, that's what, so this is the one thing I would, I would say to people is be very careful about uh, co-signing mortgages. This is, this is a very, very difficult situation if, if your kids get into trouble in their house, and if if I turn out to be correct about the bubble bursting, some of them will get into trouble. That you know, it's fairly easy in Canada to do a consumer um, proposal or to do a bankruptcy. Even you know, it only takes a few years, and you're done with it, and you walk away from the situation, and the bank takes the hit. If 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 the parents or the grandparents co-sign that mortgage, the whole family gets dragged down by that bad bad investment, and. And, you know, I, you know, for, for what? So you could get the interest rate down from 1.9% down to 1.7% or something. I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy, right? So, but it's apparently very common right now because otherwise people can't qualify for these very expensive houses. Wow. I never thought about the whole family going down like that. <laughs> um, well, um, what about um, just, you know, the average couple out there? taking advantage of all the prepayment privileges on their mortgages and so on, and just to try to build as much equity as possible in their homes, just in case 
things go awry. Is is that a good way to go about it as well, Hilliard? I, you know, I don't think it makes much difference. I mean, the 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 uh, the debts levels. Uh, the, the problem is not going to come from debt because the interest rates, are, as, as I mentioned, are under two percent now, and so you're not getting hurt that much by how this is one of the reasons why. You know, people said to me, "Well, why wouldn't I borrow five hundred thousand dollars? Look how look how cheap it is to to borrow that much money." It's the ownership of that asset. So you you can either handle it in your life um, cycle in terms of your income and your career and all that, or you cannot. And if you cannot handle that, if that's if you're in over your head, and I'm sure must many people must be in over their head, uh, the best thing they could do, especially now that we've had this second boom in the house prices, is to sell. And to become a renter, and I know that that's a terrible thing to, to suggest. Oh, you don't want to tell people, us that. Come on, I'm no, a realtor. People, well, but you get the sale. Think <laughs> yeah, about that. I you mean, get one sale. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, well, you get a second sale because when they when they when they come back, the prices drop at forty percent, and then you get to buy them back in. They'll love you forever, right? So, so yeah, it wouldn't be a bad thing. But you know, there's a shortage of listings right now. Apparently, that's one of the reasons why prices are rising, and I'm sure it's related to COVID. People don't want to put their home on the market because they don't want a bunch of people tramping through their house and spreading the virus. Um, but you know, if people have too much debt, that would be my number one thing. And if and if they haven't bought yet, if they're renters. Don't listen to all the pressure. Don't get sucked into buying in a in a bubble when prices are, are you know you have to bid you know hundred thousand above the asking price just to just to beat out all the other buyers. Let those crazy people compete over those properties. Just take a step back and relax, and you know maybe take a trip around the world or something. Do something different. Don't get caught up in don't get caught up in a lifetime. I mean, I tried to talk to somebody who was talking about doing a million dollar mortgage, a couple with a two hundred thousand dollar income. I said, do you realize that over the period of the next 30 years, you're going to pay back a million and a half at least? Now, this was when rates are a little higher. Um, and that's, you know, that's 50,000 a year for 30 years. And they sort of looked at me with a blank stare. And I thought, they, that doesn't scare them. And, and then I, so I probed a little deeper. It turned out they had no intention of paying back a million and a half dollars no. in mortgage payment. They're going to flip that house for a profit. And I did right. you know, Nobody they, thinks uh, of paying uh, off their mortgages. No, nobody, nobody does anymore. No, no. Oh, nobody thinks that way. So, so, but if you actually looked at that amount of debt, why bring the bank into your life to that extent? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Like you, you become this in this partnership with this lender, you know, take a look at the bank profits last year. It's just, it, mm -hmm. do people realize how they're making that money? They're making that money off of all the, it's about 70% household lender off of us. We used to, we used to be, if you go back hundreds and hundreds of years, our ancestors used to be tenant farmers and the the aristocrat, the king or whoever was was the was the lord, and we were the we were the serfs. Well, they've replaced that now, and now the banks are the lord, and we're the serfs. But the the relationship is the same, right? So let's break out of that. Okay. Well, what an interesting take you have, Hilliard. I'm so glad I had you on the podcast today. Well, it's nice to be on. Yeah, yeah this has been fantastic. Anyway. I hope you come back again. We'll just have to watch and see what happens over the next uh, couple of years or maybe over the next couple of months. And like we're all wondering, can this be sustained? Probably not. But I'm hoping, you know, for the good of everybody out there that it doesn't come to a big crash as the way you think it could happen. But if it does, oh, well, at least we had you to tell us. <laughs> so thanks very much for joining us. Nice to be on. Thank you nice very to be much. on your show. And that's our latest episode of Sold in the Sixth. And I'd like to thank my producers, Podcasts That Pop. 
If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Sold in the Six and you'll start receiving new episodes automatically. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. My handle is DezInTheSix. That's six spelt with the number six, I-X, you know, the cool way. And I also have a website. Check that out. It's InTheSixRealEstate.com. If you have a story idea or just want to get in touch with me, feel free to email me at des at desmondbrown.ca. I'm Desmond Brown. Until next time.